Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Connor Larson and I are back to talk a little bit about some week seven NFL football. Welcome to, back to the podcast, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's great to be back. I haven't been on in a while. Yeah, it's, it feels like a little bit. It's been a couple weeks and uh, I missed you last week. I struggled a little bit in my daily fantasy. I feel like I needed you to bounce some ideas off of you. Dominated me last week in daily. <laughs> You know, the econ midterm took precedent for a little bit, but I'm back on the grind. My DFS picks actually turned out pretty well. I think I put up like 140 points. Yeah, you did. You did really well last week. Uh, I struggled with the Andy Dalton pick and Johnny Smith got hurt, but it's not too bad. Not too bad. We're rolling. We're doing pretty well um, in our in our handicapping over the course of the season. We've been doing pretty good. And I think that we hit the nail on the head on a few trends that we've been seeing over the league, uh, throughout the league. A lot of the overs, like we said, have been hitting. Um, a lot of the road dogs have been hitting. The home field advantages have been overestimated. And um, really, it's just been a reasonably exciting year of football. Um, a lot of bad things have happened with injuries and whatnot and some crazy news. But uh, we'll, we'll dive into it and we're going to keep trucking all along and we're going to keep uh, offering as much analysis as we can on this stuff. So, Connor, let's talk about some of these um, NFL storylines we got going on. Let's let's start with the Thursday night game because um, your team ended up playing and your Giants, man, they had that one and they blew it at the end. The 22-21 loss. Eagles came from behind a gritty, gritty win. Um, covered up a lot of issues for Philadelphia, I thought. Just the fact that they were able to squeak that one out. And I honestly... Felt like the Giants had that um, in the bat. And I, I, I almost picked, I mean, we both picked the Giants to beat them against the spread. Um, and I almost wanted to pick the Giants money line to do that because I thought the Giants are honestly a, possibly a better team than the Eagles. And after that first, after that game on Thursday night, you can't really convince me either way. I, I thought both those teams were pretty evenly matched and neither is very talented. <laughs> I mean, the Eagles now the favorite to win the NFC. So it just shows, goes to show that that division is just really bad. Yeah, I think it was a really good game, um, surprisingly, from two poor teams just because they were evenly matched. And mm-hmm. there were spurts where the Giants looked really good and I was getting excited. And in the end, I still felt like a clown. You know, <laughs> I got fooled. I, know. I got excited. I know, win one. Well, Philadelphia ended up taking that win. And really, the fact that they won covered up so many of their underlying issues that were revealed throughout the season and in that game. I mean, if Boston Scott, the tiny five, six, I think Boston Scott didn't make that great catch uh, at, with like 40 something seconds left on the clock or Evan yeah. Ingram, or Evan Ingram, he, he dropped that pass over the shoulder. If he didn't have butterfingers for hands, I mean, we'd be saying the Giants won this game. Yeah, that, that would have run the clock out or he would have at least scored and that would have made it a two possession game at that point. So the Giants would have locked it down if Ingram didn't have alligator arms and pulled it back yeah. in. But, you know, my theory is they haven't been using him on those long passes all year. So I think he was kind of shocked when Jones actually took a shot to him. Yeah, he was ready for it. Um yeah, the, the Boston Scott play was amazing. It was a perfectly thrown ball by Carson Wentz. And it, and it covered up the fact that on the play before, the Eagles were on the four or five yard line and they got a 10 yard holding penalty with 40 mm-hmm. seconds that knocked them all the way back to the 15. So they got super lucky. Or I think it might have been a 15 yard penalty. It was a face mask. I think the offensive lineman ripped the helmet off of a player. And that's a he horrible did. mistake to make in the last minute of a play on a goal line. So they're so lucky that Carson Wentz was able to drop that ball in and just beat Julius Pepper whose hand was in there too. He, he played some great defense on that play. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the, there were mental mistakes all over the place and there are clearly holes and the Eagles got a little bit lucky and were able to pull one out. Yeah, I mean, 
like you said, the Eagles just clinch it on up by the fingertips, just by the nail. And, and really the two point conversions again, almost killed Philadelphia. We talked about this a little bit on a, pre- a couple previous podcasts, Philadelphia really struggling down in the red zone down. I mean, two point conversions down, down short, short and goal. I mean, Philadelphia really just not able to scheme up any sort of offensive game plan near the, near that goal line. I mean, over three again on two point conversions really just ended up almost costing them down the, down the stretch. I mean, they were only, they only won by one point. They missed a two point conversion at the end. Uh, New York could have came back and, and kicked the field goal to tie it. If, I mean, uh, take the lead if, if they uh, were able to convert, but uh, the, the strip, um, Dan the game, yeah. yeah, but Still, I mean, Philadelphia really just having loads of issues. I mean, they did have a play on fourth down uh, where they they lost. They turned over on downs earlier in the game on fourth down. They lined up. I heard Mike Lombardi talking about this, and I thought it was a great point. I mean, the, they brought out Hakeem Butler, who if you don't know who Hakeem Butler is, he was drafted by Arizona. He was a wide receiver in Arizona, and he was so bad. He, his hands were so bad that he they converted him to a tight end because he was big enough to be a tight end. He didn't have the hands to be to be a wide receiver. And that top end speed either, you know, where he could beat guys on the yeah, corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they ended up lining him up on the outside on fourth down and they threw him probably the worst play you could possibly call on fourth down. A, a little lollipop fade route to one of the worst wide receiver, tight ends in, in, the, in the league in Hakeem Butler, not known for having great hands. It's a 50-50 ball at best if you right. have a good receiver throwing that fade route. It's, it's, a, it's a coin toss. And you, throw, to you fair, line up. Hakeem Butler uh, just joined the team too. So, and he's converting to a new position. Is this really the guy you want to throw the ball to on a crucial fourth down? Yeah, that was, I thought, just a terrible play. Doug Peterson's been all over the place for Philadelphia. I mean, they ran a QB draw from the eight-yard line on third down. Wentz told Aikman after the game I saw he said he's still sore from Sunday. I mean, he's getting the shit kicked out of him, man. Philadelphia is really relying heavily on Carson Wentz to just work some magic. And he's doing, he's he's hurt again. doing pretty well. And you're right. He's doing pretty well. And he's going to get hurt again because he, he is really relying heavily on breaking tackles, stiff arms, extending plays, finding open receivers, allowing his receivers who are not very talented to create space. I mean, besides Travis, Travis Fulgham, I, I can't see a single receiver in Philadelphia creating any sort of space besides that guy. Mm-hmm. And Fulgham's look good. He should be on your fantasy roster and he's definitely startable now. He's getting like 10, 11 targets a game, especially definitely. with Deshaun Jackson out. And, you know, maybe we should just touch on that for a moment. Really dirty hit by the Giants player. Uh, you hate dude, to see Deshaun Jackson me. go down. Yeah, it it really sucked to see that poor guy. I know. He's been dealing with the past few years, different types of unlucky injuries. Who was that number 45 on the New York Giants? I'm going to, I, I want to call this dude out. I'm Googling this dude. That pissed me off, dude. That made me sick to my to my stomach. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he the the first hit was fine. It, they they actually called the penalty on the first hit, but there was no hit to the helmet. It just kind of looked like an awkward hit. But then Deshaun Jackson clearly went to the ground. His knees clearly down. His whole body was down. He's trying. He's trying to. He's, he's getting ass. up again. He's on his butt. And as he's, he's getting up again, he absolutely gets piled, driven back to the ground, and his leg got pinned bad, really bad by the Giants. And you have yeah. to think some of that is the Giants taking out their frustrations on another team because they're having such a bad season. And, and I don't like seeing that at all. Let's not play dirty, you know? Yeah. New York, Hen- can do better. Henry Hinoski. Hinoski. Terrible play. Number 45 for the New York Giants. Just led with the helmet, everything. Just textbook, just play that he was trying to hurt Deshaun Jackson. That was just not cool. I then I, I feel for Deshaun, man, that guy cannot stay on the field. So talented throughout his career and he just can never stay healthy. Yeah. I think that's our fullback, right? Is it? 
Yeah. Big 45. All right. The, lo- the last point on this game, and I hate to bring it up for you because it's, it's a little embarrassing. That Daniel Jones fall. What did you think of that, man? <laughs> Goes for 80 yards. Yeah, there's a sniper on top of the stadium or something. <laughs> he got dinged on the foot. He, he I mean, he, what he was mean. awesome. Such a great play though. Like let's not detract from the fact that he fell. He had an 80 yard run. Yeah. He was quick. He, they were talking about how he was faster this year and he clearly showed it. I think he was within a one mile per hour of Tyreek Hill's top speed of the season. He like, reached the top speed for any quarterback this year. He was faster than Lamar. He was cooking, but I think I think I saw you either on Twitter or Instagram. You mentioned that these guys don't quarterbacks generally don't practice running at their top speed, um, and it just looked like he overextended himself and he was chopping all the way down the field, hustling. And I think he also was looking over his shoulder a little yeah. bit too much, and so he threw his strides off and kind of got tangled. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that's the story of the Giants season. You think they're doing great up until the 10 yard line, just like this game, you know, we were doing great through three quarters and then we blew up just like Daniel Jones blew up on his, what would be a 90 yard touchdown run. Yeah. Story of my Giants life. Yeah. He, um, I brought it up on, on an Instagram post. He, he clearly was just like ran a little bit past his most comfortable top speed. And a, a lot of the peak like track athletes, and I'm sure a lot of NFL runners practice just to ones who are, are trying to reach their full potential and their speed. Um, they practice over acceleration training. I did this a little bit in high school when I was running cross country um, and in college a little bit when I was trying to train for some baseball. They, uh, you run as a runner, you want to run downhill sometimes because mm-hmm. although it's harder in your knees, if you run it, t- if you don't want to do it too much, cause it's hard on your knees and your joints, but and don't do it on concrete because yeah. your ass will fall a couple times. Yeah. So running downhill is, is key because you, you're over accelerating when you run downhill, you're running faster than your body is used to. And mm-hmm. training that way is, is crucial because when you're running at your top speed, like Daniel Jones was reaching like over speeds of 20, 21 miles per hour, his legs need to be used to running that fast and moving that fast. And what he, he reached a point where he just over accelerated and his legs just kind of fell out of, out of balance a little bit. And he mm-hmm. kind of, his, his torso ran past his legs a little bit. The momentum took him past. And, um, really, they got lucky that they scored uh, on the Wayne Gallman touchdown. So really, it was a funny moment, um, but I'm glad that the Giants actually um, were able to punch one in for to yeah. redeem yeah, I, Daniel I Jones on that play. point there, like running downhill, or I, I, I've seen the, the treadmills that are concave, and, mm-hmm. they have, and they actually go like 25 miles per hour, but you hold on to the bars and you only do it for like a minute or 20 seconds. And you just practice getting your legs moving at a faster speed than if you weren't on a treadmill, what you could run. And it's that type of repetition and practice. It's just like holding um, a bench press with more weight than you can actually bench press, but getting holding that weight without going up and down. So it's Mm -hmm. just, it's, it's, it's prepping your muscles for if that situation does happen, you're going to be ready for it. And clearly Daniel Jones wasn't, he wasn't expecting to be in space 80 yards down the field yeah it it really doesn't happen for a quarterback that often so i can't blame him yeah yeah dude enough about thursday night football though Um, uh, this nfc this nfc east is just not fun to talk about so let's move on yep so some some other big news that the um, miami dolphins that decided to replace their starting quarterback ryan fitzpatrick this week with with the young rookie to a tag i can't pronounce it tag of bailoa tag of bailoa i think yeah you think you nailed it they uh, decided to bring in the rookie, the young rookie out of Alabama. Um, he's going to make his appear his first NFL start um, following the bye week this week in, in week eight. He'll be facing the 
Los Angeles Rams and the always vicious Aaron Donald. What do you think about this decision? And tell me what you thought about Fitzpatrick's reaction, how it just really just seemed like he was not expecting this and it really broke him. It really, really broke him down. I think it's the right move for the Dolphins. I like the timing. It's a bit surprising based on how well Fitzpatrick was playing. But if you actually do go back to the Jets game, there are a lot of throws he missed. He didn't look very good. Mm -hmm. And now they beat the Jets pretty handily because of the Jets. But still, when you just evaluate the player performance individually of the team performance, Fitzpatrick didn't look great. And I think they realize their ceiling is capped with Fitzpatrick and Tua can really take him to that next level. It might not be this season, but if Tua develops rapidly, kind of like we've seen from Justin Herbert this year, that potential for the Miami team with some good weapons, um, Gaskins quick out of the backfield. He's a good pass catcher. Devonte Parker's a legitimate wide receiver. One, um, he would play on, you know, most teams and Preston Williams has started to develop this year and Gasicki's an awesome tight end. So you add Tua into the mix and apparently you know, they were trying to get Lev Bell or Antonio Brown possibly. So this team is trying to compete this year right now. And I think they, uh, they had to move on from Fitzpatrick to really raise their potential ceiling, but you feel for the guy, anytime you lose your job and when you give it your hundred percent and you perform up to the standards, you know, there are three and three team and they're right in the mix um, with the bills and the pats. And so it sucks. It hurts. That press conference was heart wrenching. You know, what's yeah. your take then? Yeah. I, I, I agree with you where if they were going to bring in two of this season, this was the time to do it because they gave him a week to prepare. The big. No, yep. Yeah. And, um, this is, like you said, the ceiling is potentially higher than Fitzpatrick, who is like a, right about a league average QB. Um, you're right in the fact that Fitzpatrick, although the stats kind of show like he's been pretty decent, he's been at least league average. When you, the eye test, he doesn't he doesn't pass an above average eye test. Like he 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 makes risky throws, he makes risky plays. His decision making is not always on not on par with some of the better quarterbacks in the league. He he's prone to mistakes and. With Tua, what we're going to be seeing is um, he's either going to be better or worse than Fitzpatrick, and that's going to be good for the Miami Dolphins. Either, you don't either want, outcome. Yeah, either outcome. Because if he's worse than Fitzpatrick, you, at least you get a better draft pick because you're going to lose more games. And you can develop him a little bit, and you're better exactly. for next year. Exactly. And, and if he's better than Fitzpatrick, you win more games. That's positive. That's a good because you want, yeah. you want to win games. I mean, New England's showing some weakness this year. They're showing some vulnerability. And so the there's a window. There's a window for Miami here. And, and you're right. The Bills started off strong. Uh, Miami now is coming back and, and, and they could really contend possibly for an NFC East, I mean, AFC East title. And I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, it's a possibility with Tua at the helm, the potential um, of him really just showing out. It, it's there. He was a good quarterback at Alabama. He was a highly touted prospect until that hip injury. Probably would have gone number one overall had Burrow not um, just had such a stellar, amazing senior year at LSU. Yeah. And, um, or if he didn't have the hip injury, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And we see this Miami is trying to establish a pattern of growth for Tua here. And we're going to see him develop this first year, get some reps. The second season is going to be a little bit more indicating of what they're going to see out of him. They're going to want him to improve off of this first year and the second year, obviously. But then by the third season, they're going to be hoping that they're going to get a quarterback in his prime, ready to win football games for at least the remaining uh, the remaining tenure of his rookie, his rookie contract. And so that's what they're trying to get out of two. They're trying to start him to reach his potential. They're trying to get him to reach his potential at the soonest moment possible. And ideally he's going to be playing his best football in the year 2022, I think. 
And I think part of it too, is they, they didn't want to run Tua out there too early before he was medically fully ready. And additionally, they didn't know how good this Miami team was going to be. And they didn't want to put him in a compromising position. If they put him out there with a bad team, kind of like what happened to Dwayne Haskins or Josh Rose and a couple of guys with potential, but just on really bad rosters and they couldn't protect the quarterback and it eventually derailed their career. They don't want that for Tua. So they made sure that they had the right playmakers around them. They have a decent offensive line and they're defense is stellar. Their defense has performed really yeah. well this year. Brian Flores is an awesome head coach. And so they want to get Fitzpatrick out, out of there who makes some risky decisions, possibly get Tua in there because you know, the mm. defense is going to keep them in games. And if the offense can perform with Tua they yeah. they have a lot of potential. Yeah, man. What an upgrade Flores was to Gase. I mean, <sighs> Oh my gosh, coach. you see Gase, you see Gase in, in New York. The difference in culture is is just the difference in culture is just astronomical. I mean, the Jets don't want to don't want to win. They don't have anybody that has any sort of motivation on that team. They, they look actively like, run off like, talent. Yeah, they look like a minor league football team. I don't know what that's even. That's not even a thing. But just within the past two years, they've gotten rid of their top wide receiver in Robbie Anderson, who's now performing extremely Carolina, well. On the very Panthers. well. They got rid of Jamal Adams, one of the top defensive players in the league. He's on Seattle, and then they just got rid of Lev Bell, historically one of the best running backs over the past six seasons or so they yeah. are literally running talent out of town this is yeah. not a team you want to play for this is not a coach you want to play for yeah and the starch contrast is with flores who seems to be maximizing the potential out of any team he's been coaching i mean miami was thought to have been the worst the miami last year was supposed to be the jets this year they were supposed to be tanking they were supposed to be awful and you know what how many 16, games did they right? win they yeah to- they were, they, 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 what won four or five games. They, they got, they tried, they were close in a lot of games. They lost a lot of close ones. They Flores gets his teams to try and they gets his teams to buy in into the team mentality and the overall success of the organization. It, the player, he gets the most out of his players. And that's just, there's something to be said about that. Yeah, they they were five and eleven in the end, and and they st- the way they started that season before you know they really got into a rhythm with who their quarterback was going to be, and once they finally got that team set, they were actually pretty fantastic. Once they made a couple trades, um, and Flores was able to implement his game plan fully the back end of the year, they've really carried that momentum into into twenty twenty two. So I, the Miami's going to be a good team for years to come, I think. Yeah, it makes me a little bit nervous as a Pats fan in the NFC East. Yeah, yeah, finally, I keep saying AFC. AFC. Finally, you have some competition in the Bills in Miami for the next few years. They both have good mm-hmm. young quarterbacks, and they luckily have a, it's only three teams that are competing. <laughs> the Jets, the Jets are an automatic win every time. Yeah, you're good <laughs> to go there. <laughs> so the next, the next topic I want to talk about, dude. Dallas had a lot of turmoil going on going on this week. Some players in the locker room uh, saying that the coaching staff just doesn't know how to make adjustments in game. Really, just poor schemat scheming and. Um, Coach, just players really just having a lot of issues with the coaching staff um, in Dallas and uh, the loss, the loss of their quarterback Dak, Dak Prescott is no doubt going to kind of emphasize the, uh, the issues. It's going to, it's going to shine some light on the issues in Dallas that uh, maybe Dak was able to cover up a little bit more. And uh, just because that offense with Dak was firing on all cylinders, scoring as many points as they needed, basically um, coming up short in a number of games, but um I think really? one of those things where Dak's talent was overcoming the weakness in the play calling. Exactly. And then once you put Dalton, who I think is probably an average quarterback, so I wouldn't say he's bad. He, his career, he's been decent. Um, but he just cannot make up for 
um, the, the, the poor play calling that's happening right now. And in, in the same way that Dak was able to. Yeah. Uh, Mike Lombardi on the GM shuffle who I, I love talking about like Mike Lombardi. If you notice, I mean, he's just the smartest. He's just the smartest MF for man. He's so smart. us. <laughs> so Mike Lombardi on the GM shuffle. He said that he, he's so intergrained with the league. He under, he, he gets like sources from all over and he can't talk about everything because I mean, his son works in Carolina. He's got so many internal sources. He can't talk about everything he knows. Um, but Mike Lombardi said he does the Dallas Cowboys do know who said this and it's a respected veteran in the locker room and they can't say who, but it's, it's, it's someone who it's two players who hold ground in that locker room. And so it mm-hmm. makes it a little bit more significant when it's that. And it's, it's players who really have an impact on um, what goes on in that locker room and, and what kind of the, the mindset is for these players and the team. Um, and that's what kind of alarmed me even more. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these coaches, Mike McCarthy, Mike Nolan, who I just hate on the defensive side, Mike Nolan on, on, in Dallas, it, he doesn't deserve the job. I mean, Dallas's defense is just, been horrendous this season and Mike Nolan's got to be one of the main guys to blame. And then I just hate the, I hate the play calling from Kellen Moore. I've talked about this on previous yeah. podcasts. I just, I, they're not the answers, this coaching staff. Um, and really what we're seeing is a fundamental issue in Dallas of Jerry Jones's ownership in, in Dallas. I mean, the guy has been, this is 25th season in Dallas. All right. Out of the 25 years, they've made the, they've made the playoffs just 10 times. 10 out of 25 times. Jerry Jones is in the Hall of Fame already. And he's in the Hall of Fame because of his, of his role in the league and, and his role outside of the team's success for the Cowboys. But if you want to talk about Dallas's success with Jerry Jones as the owner, I mean, how could they not have won a Super Bowl or at least have made a Super Bowl by now? I mean, he blew the careers of Tony Romo and, and Bill Parcells. He blew them. Those are two of the most talented players to... to Pass through the league. I mean, not Parcells as a player, as a coach. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, but Parcells never made the Super, never won the Super Bowl with Dallas. Uh, Tony Romo never made the Super Bowl with Dallas. I mean, those are two players that those are franchise guys that you you win with. And Jerry Jones just loves to meddle, pull the strings in Dallas, and he doesn't know how to do it. He doesn't know how to do it. He's not. He's not. He likes to think that he came from the Al Davis school of thought where. They're, they're implementing all these different things that the, the old school Raiders did to win the Super Bowls. And really, Al Davis, you can't compare Jerry Jones to Al Davis because Al Davis was one of the smartest football minds in the league. He was one of the smartest football minds ever. The guy watched football tape nonstop. And Jerry Jones is not watching tape. He's not. Right. I mean, you have to think that when he's flying in his private jet back from these games, and his losses, what's wrong with me? Like, what, what am I doing wrong? Does he think that? No. He's Jerry Jones. He's so he's the cockiest motherfucker in the league, man. Like he's going to do what he's going to do. I just, I, I'm telling you as a Dallas, if I was a Dallas fan, I'm, I need, I need Jerry to sell or I need some sort of fundamental changes within this organization. Right. One, one of the things we talk about in my organizational psychology and business class um, is that mental flexibility from leadership is one of the strongest characteristics of the leading companies that currently exist. And it's Mm -hmm. that ability to recognize where your game plan that you initially implemented isn't going right. And the, the need to be able to on the fly switch paths because you recognize that if you just keep going along the same line, you're going to end up in failure. So you think of like the blockbuster versus Netflix. Well, blockbuster never changed their game plan. They weren't futuristically thinking. And then you have Netflix with Reed Hastings, who is like, 
I see where the future is going. We need to change our strategy and they capitalize. And it's the same thing in football. When you think about the best teams, you think about the Patriots, Bill Belichick game to game is willing to switch his game plan at halftime. They're one of the best teams at instituting new plays. The guys like Sean Payton or a team like the Ravens with, with Harbaugh, right? They saw that where the league was going. They saw that Flacco is kind of a a dinosaur, right? When it comes to a guy who just sits in the pocket and throws the ball, that's not going to work anymore. And they were able to manage and change the strategy. And now they're extremely successful once again. Yeah. Really you're hinting at it and, and to highlight it is really Jerry Jones is implementing a meat and potatoes system. He's implementing this team is just so standard, so meat and potatoes, so bland. And you know what the teams in, in, in sports in general, all sports, the teams that have the most success are the ones who zig while the others are zagging. The ones who are ahead of the curve, the ones Andy who are Reed. able to the able, the, exactly. Andy Reid is the great example of this. Andy Reid is so progressive. He understands where the league is going. He knows how to draw up schemes before other teams catch on. Like he's always ahead of the curve. Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys have never been this way. Mike McCarthy is the most bland meat and potatoes coach that they could have brought in. Jason Garrett. It's just like a oh my god, a carbon copy. Exactly. It, 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 they didn't fix anything on this team this year. And there was uh, a region Rogers changed the play at the line every single time in Green Bay. You know, I know that, that news story about how he was faking the the helmet uh, comms going yeah, out so they could because he, yeah. he knows those plays aren't going to work. McCarthy's not a good head coach. He's not. He's not. He's not the answer. I don't know how. You, I mean, this is his first year, man. This is his first year. He's got, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not optimistic for, about Dallas. That's the, that's the, that's the story. I'm not optimistic. The, the fact that they have Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, CD land, they have so much talent and they're not really able to capitalize on it at all. Yeah. And they're, and, they're in and the weakest division the in the league. Yeah. And they're in the weakest division in the league. Mm-hmm. Right. And they still can't win. They didn't win it last year at what, like they only needed eight wins and they couldn't even handle that. And in this year, what the heck is going on guys? It is on a plate for them to be able to go to the playoffs, get 10 wins and they can't do it. Now, obviously once you lose Dak, but it's not like they were playing all that well before Dak either. Yeah. Before his all right. Injury, so, I should say. All right. We're talking about a lot of personalities here in Dallas. Let's talk about another personality that just went over to Tampa Bay. Antonio Brown news out of Tampa Bay, Antonio Brown signing with, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let me ask you about your opinion on this. So he's been very reserved in the public eye lately. So what do you think his impact on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a real football team in, in the real sense is going to be? Yeah, I think it could possibly be a distraction. It's a total wild card. So we don't know. Um, but we look at what what's been going on with that offense. I think it makes sense that they wanted to bring in some more wide receiver depth. Chris Godwin's been in and out of the lineup all year and Mike Evans, um, he's really overproducing in the touchdown category. Inefficient. But, but well, efficient, in, efficient with the touchdown. Inefficient in the, in the red with, zone, inefficient yeah. with the targets he's receiving in the open field. There's a connection issue with Brady. We know Brady loves Brown. That's why the Pats got them last year. We know Brady's worked with Brown in the off seasons before, and it totally makes sense. This is a, one of the best route runners in the league. And that's what Brady loves. If you are where you're supposed to be, Brady will get you the ball and that team will be successful. Mike Evans and him, it, they were never on the same page in terms of the route running. And I think that's why Brady's afraid to target him. That's why yeah. he's going back to Gronk. And we see Gronk starting to play so well. And I think Antonio Brown with his crisp route running could really perform well. And I think it's going to be the Brown and Godwin show going forward. I think actually mm-hmm. Mike Evans is going to start to fade and it kind of just become the deep ball guy a little bit and maybe yeah. a red zone guy. Yeah, I agree with you there. I, I, Really, 
you you want to rank Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, the binary scale, who's ra- power ranking Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? It's Tom Brady one, Bill Belichick three now. <laughs> like, it's like he's way down there. Patriots, Tom Brady made the right call leaving that Patriots. And I hate to say it, I love New England, but uh, Tom Brady really just finding a, a, a really great spot in Tampa Bay. I mean, that team looks like a Super Bowl contender right now, uh, bringing in one of the most talented receivers over the last decade. I'm Brown. myself. I put five, five or ten bucks on them, like before the season. In the the odds were fantastic. I, I think it was like a hundred to one odds or something. Like I, I, I stand uh, to win. I stand to win like two hundred fifty dollars on a five dollar bet. And I'm like, why didn't I just throw like twenty? You know? Yeah, that was before Brady got there, huh? I think now that they signed Antonio Brown, they're the the likelihood they make the Super Bowl is like 10%. Like that's what, that's how much it yeah. moved up from like six or so like this team with possibly one of the best wide receivers ever. And definitely the best wide receiver along with Julio Jones over the past 10 years. It could be incredible. Yeah. So um, from a fantasy perspective, you kind of touched Mike Evans, you think is, is going to be kind of hurt in fantasy. Yeah. I mean, I, th- he hasn't been that good already. It's, it, it's kind of like the, he's been the Garrett blunt of wide receivers where it's just, it's touchdown or bust for him. And now that they're adding another offensive weapon, one that Brady heavily targeted in that it's a small sample of size, right? They played a half together in that last year, but Brady targeted him like seven times and Brown went five for 56 or four for 56 and a touchdown. So we know that they have a rapport. Brady's going to look to him early and often. And I think Mike Evans is going to be faded out. Yeah. Matthew Barry had some good analysis on this situation. Um, Tom Brady gets a big bump. Got to, I mean, he's a top 10 QB the rest of the way in fantasy. Um, But from the wide receivers perspective, Mike Evans, I think is going to be impacted the most, Um, but really in this offense, so last year, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin were the, both top five fantasy receivers. Um, but over the last, so you want to include last season to this and this season, you got, I think, a 24-game window or 24-game sample size. Those two receivers have only come in the top 20 in one week, um, I think only three times, Matthew Berry said. So it's usually one or the other we're seeing. And I think this is really going to only emphasize that point where – it's going to be one or two receivers each game. It's not going to be all three. Brady can't feed all three of these guys every game. Right. And it's going to be a little unpredictable which one it's going to be. It's not going to, it's going to not, not going to be easy to pick between these guys. I mean, I think you got to keep playing Chris Godwin. Uh, but I think really, you have to play all three of them until we see that Antonio Brown's really demanding a, a market share. I think for the next mm-hmm. two weeks, you probably start Evans and, and you keep Brown on your bench for a game. Would you, would you start Brown in his first game back? I think we. I one. wouldn't. I wouldn't. I want to see what his role is first. Um, but really, I, I mean, if, if I can, I'm going to try to offer, if I'm a Chris Godwin owner and I'm a, I'm a Mike Evans owner, I'm going to try to offer some feelers to see what I could get for them in a trade. Obviously I'm not, I'm not going to sell low. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take like a, a, some sort of mediocre package in return for Chris Godwin and Mike Evans out of panic. But um, I'm definitely trying to see if I'm a fantasy owner of those two guys, what I could get for them um, to try to maybe get out of that situation before it gets worse for those guys. How would you rank those three, Ben, for the rest of the season, starting in, let's say, week nine, once Antonio Brown joins the team? Well, I still think Chris Godwin's the easy one, 1A. Um, but between Mike Evans and Antonio Brown, that that to me is just so unpredictable. I, I, I think Brown has the better potential, uh, but I think Mike Evans are, being there already through the first seven weeks with Brady, um, I think, or first six weeks going into week seven. Um, I think Mike Evans at least stays a red zone target for him. 
um, at least catches some more touchdowns on the season. Um, but I do worry about Mike Evans' volume going forward, who was already kind of suffering from some lack of targets this year. Um, this is just not going to make it any better. And Ronald Jones is running the ball well. They're getting Leonard Fournette back. So there's a lot of guys that are going to demand touches on this team. You know, what it kindly, kind of reminds me of is the, the Rams of two years ago when they had Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, and Robert Woods, and all three of them were startable in fantasy, but rarely all three had those game performances where they were all outstanding. But you couldn't not play them, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting going forward. I think all three of them are going to be probably top 25 wide receivers the rest of the way, but not any single one of them is going to be one of those top five guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to see what AB brings to the league. I mean, at the very least, he's an entertaining player, makes the football season more exciting. He's, it's, 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 he's a, he's a strange dude, strange dude, but you know, he makes, he makes for good TV. He makes for good, good entertainment. So looking forward to seeing him in Tampa Bay and Tom Brady back together. All right. Let's talk about some picks, buddy. Um, we got week seven coming up. Let's talk about some of our best bets. Um, wanted to highlight a few games. Let's start with Arizona and Seattle. Seattle's favored by three and a half lane, uh, three and a half points to Arizona. I'm going to pick Arizona the plus three and a half here. And here's my thought on this. My power rankings here. I have Seattle right around five or six, which is about three and a half points above average. I have Arizona right around 10 or 11 playing really well. Arizona. They're about one and a half points or so above average um, from an above average football team. Really, I, I see this game as it should be about a two point spread in the power rankings. And then with home field advantage for Arizona, that would knock them down to about a 0.5 to a one point spread. And I really feel like this game should be about a, a, uh, Seattle minus one or Seattle minus half, uh, a half a point. So mm-hmm. I'm basically getting about a field goal and pure value here this week in Arizona. And that's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. So I think that this game is going to be close. These teams have a ton of offensive firepower. I, I still like the Seahawks to win because I, I, I know how clutch Russell is and I'm not going to bet against him, but if you're getting the points, then I understand that value for me. This is probably one where I just pick the game and I would just take the Seahawks. I, I would try to avoid the spread. Yeah. The money line Seattle is, is probably better uh, than against the spread. Um, I, I hate betting against Russell Wilson. And that's why I, I wouldn't make this my best bet. Um, but I just feel like Arizona is a really good team coming to this one. And I, 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 the only worry I have is Seattle off the buy here. Um, Seattle has been pretty good off the buy over the last few years, both straight up and against the spread. They haven't lost straight up after a buy since 2015. So like you said, the money line might be tasty here. They covered against the spread in 17, 18 and 19. So the last three seasons they've covered against the spread uh, after a buy, but since 2003, which is um, when did Pete Carroll come? I think he came right around there. Um, they've gone, I think he came a few years later after that, but um, they've gone 12 and eight over the, since 2003 uh, straight up after the buys. So, uh, and they're a point under against the spreading the cumulative spreads in those games. So over the last 17 years, um, they're a little neutral against, I mean, after a buy, but if you want to look at recent seasons, they're doing pretty well. So I do have some current concerns about that. Um, the only thing is, though, I think Arizona's offense will have a, a field day against the Seattle defense. Jamal Adams still not practicing. People are assuming he'd be good to go this week after the bye week, but it's not looking good for him. Um, Seattle ranks 20th in expected points per game on defense at negative 10.14. Arizona's at 13, so minus four and a half. If you want to pick anything in this game as a first sure thing, I think of the over is that if, if you want to pick the over, um, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty first sure thing. I think. 
I, I, system would, scoring. I, I would give Russell the MVP through this point in the season, but I think people are discounting how awesome Kyler Murray has been too. I mean, if you look at his rushing totals, he he's reminiscent of Lamar Jackson last year and he's better been better than Lamar this year. And now this game has been moved into pride prime time because of that, the Raiders getting shifted um, into the afternoon slot because of those possible COVID tests. And so now we get to see, prime time, whether Kyler can really prove that he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league right at that MVP level, which I think he, he can perform at. So it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Good game between Arizona and Seattle here. All right. Next matchup. I want to highlight Cleveland and Cincinnati, Cleveland minus three and a half. Um, I'm going to pick Cleveland here. I like Cleveland at minus three and a half um, as the favorites. And the week two, it's a week two rematch. Cleveland was minus six at home against Cincinnati. And we saw in that game uh, since he lost by five. So really we kind of saw that that line was almost correct. We've seen a three point, we've seen a three point adjustment since um, Cleveland going Cleveland and Cincinnati, the gap coming together about three points. Um, I think that first game was a little bit of a misleading result though, because Cincinnati in that game converted on five for five on fourth down um, Cincinnati on the, by the way, is 10 for 11 on fourth down this season. Incredible. Yeah. 10 for, stud. 10 for 11 on fourth down. I don't know that that trend continues. I don't really, that's a really, um, that's a really high rate on fourth down conversion. It's um, like a Brady sneak success rate. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cle- Cleveland in that game in week two ran all over Cincinnati. Um, they don't have Nick Chubb now. Uh, they did have him in week two, um, but, and the Browns have been struggling over the last couple of weeks with just Kareem Hunt without Nick Chubb. But um, I think that, you got to knock, you got to give them a little bit of credit for facing the, basically the two best rush defenses or two of the best three, uh, 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 Tampa Bay's number one. And so two and three is Pittsburgh and Indianapolis, which were the two opponents that the Browns faced um, without Nick Chubb. Mm-hmm. Two of the rush, toughest rush defenses, second and third in the league. Pittsburgh allows 3.3 yards per carry um, and Indianapolis allows, allows 3.5. So the Bucks are the only ranked, oh. better ranked uh, rush defense. Cincinnati ranks in contrast second to last in yards allowed per rush attempt 5.1 yards per attempt. Houston's the only worse rushing defense. So I do like Kareem hunt in a Get fantasy. Some Kareem hunt shares yeah. this week in your DFS too. He's, he's Cleveland. under seven K. So he's an awesome value. Yeah. Look for Cleveland to reestablish that running that rushing attack this week. I mean, Baker Mayfield with Kevin Stefanski this year has, has improved a little bit in the sense where I don't, by no means do I like Baker Mayfield this year. I don't think he's a good quarterback. I think he's average to below average at best. Um, he's a system QB and Kevin Stefanski this year has been able to have some success in Cleveland because he's implemented a system that he's done a good job at. He's, he's, he's schemed up an offense that ba- Baker can manage. If you make Baker sit in the pocket and, and make throws from the pocket, he's going to overthrow your guys at least 10 times in that game. He's a short quarterback. He can't throw over these guys. Yeah. He, he needs to roll out. You, and the rushing attack is what allows that for him. I mean, Stefanski has, he's done a good job at, at solidifying that threat of the rushing attack for them. They're, they're the best rushing team in the league. Um, I, like I said, minus those two games over the last uh, two weeks. But I mean, what's, what's great for Baker, what he succeeds in is play actions, naked bootlegs, occasional deep balls and the rushing attack threat. Um, when they're running on, when they're running the ball, well, really opens up those windows for Baker and, Baker's not a good QB, like I'm saying, but Cleveland can be average to below average teams with that system where they rely heavily on the run and they allow Baker to throw off play action and create some space um, by, by making defenses respect the rushing attack. And I think they're going to start 
uh, early on letting Kareem Hunt cook and they're going to let him run, run the ball all over this, this Cincinnati defense. I, I think Cincinnati is uh, going to get going to have a hard time managing that rushing attack. I, I like, I like Cleveland minus three and a half here. Yeah. I think your analysis is point on what, what Cleveland wants to do is they want to establish the run. They want to get ahead and they want to ram the, the ball down the other team's throat and run out the clock. And it, that doesn't lend itself to Baker having these huge air yardage games. It doesn't lend itself to Odell having huge games unless he gets into the end zone a couple of times, you know, his yardage totals are nowhere near where they were in New York, where Eli was just slinging the ball around. Um, and this is one of those teams where like, you kind of were like, I wish they would just grab Jameis or Fitzpatrick yeah. or one of these backup quarterbacks that has a sling and they can just hook it up with Landry and Hooper and Beckham and these weapons, but that's not what they want to do. Stefanski. It's nice to see that they actually have a real head coach now who has an offensive and defensive game plan. At least they have an identity. At least they have Kitchens an identity. was bad. And, oh, and yeah. who was there before that? Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson. Um, oh, the ultimate. The ultimate. <laughs> uh, so Stefanski, we, we know what he did in, in with the Vikings. He loved to run the ball with Dalvin Cook. Kareem Hunt's a very similar player. He he can catch and run the ball. And last week he was a little bit dinged up. So I think that, yeah, Cleveland is going to be able to run the ball a lot. And I think they win this game by, by a touchdown. Yeah. And Joe Mixon going out for Cincinnati isn't great either. Oh, uh, that's huge. That's yeah. a big thing too. Great so, point. Uh, you, you do like uh, Gio Bernard. I know you have him in your daily fantasy roster this week, um, but Joe Mixon is a, is a big part of that offense. And so yeah. even, even if Gio does have a good game, at least they don't have a good backup anymore. So. I don't think Gio is going to perform well on the ground. That's never been his skill set. He's not a very good runner, um, but he is a good pass catcher. And because I think Cincinnati will have to play from behind and throw the ball kind of like they have all season. I think Gio has a nice game, especially because Mixon's not going to be there. So yeah, fire up Bernard into your lineup as with the expectations that he's more of a running back too this week. Well said. All right. Next game, Pittsburgh and Tennessee. This is my game of the week, I think. This is a great matchup. Yeah, this is my game of the week. Pittsburgh, um, they're getting a point here. Tennessee's the, the favorite. They're laying a point um, against the Steelers. I love the Pittsburgh Steelers this year. I think if I had to pick a Super Bowl favorite besides the Chiefs, I'd go with Pittsburgh. And the Steelers ha- in this matchup against Tennessee have a much better defense than Tennessee. They have the advantage on defense big time. And Tennessee really in that same vein as Seattle with a high octane offense and a really subpar defense. And um, in order for Tennessee to win this game, really, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot from Goskowski. I think Goskowski is going to have to hit a plethora of field goals. He's going to have to hit some long ones. I'm guessing in this one, I think Tennessee Pittsburgh is going to be a great matchup. Um, I'm really interested to see on that side of the football, Pittsburgh's defense against Tennessee's offense, how, how Pittsburgh's rush defense will attack Derrick Henry. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to that matchup big time. Um, Pittsburgh right now, though, they are second in expected points per game from their defense at 3.23. In contrast, Tennessee is 22nd. They have a negative 11.12 in expected point value from their defense. So there's a big, there's a big contrast in that. And I think, um, Tennessee's offense, although a little bit better than Pittsburgh's, they have the weakness on defense. And I think Pittsburgh's offense is a little bit underrated coming into this one. I think they've, they've been just good enough and they have the potential to be better. And I think they're holding back a little bit because that's what some of the good teams do. 
Yeah, Pittsburgh's been a little bit dinged up, and now they get Deontay Johnson back, who the, through the first two or three weeks was averaging you know, 10, 11 targets a game. So he's only 4,200 on DraftKings, awesome value. People uh, already have forgotten about him because he's not a big-name player. Um, in, in, in the time that he's missed, Chase Claypool has really stepped up. So now you have two developed players um, – and you add that to Juju, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, they have a great trio of wide receivers and they should be able to move the ball well against this Tennessee defense. The question is, can can they stop the Tennessee offense, which has been on a roll? Ryan Tannehill has been playing at an MVP caliber himself. You know, once once he was released from the Gase curse uh, in Miami, he he's looked like a stud last year, brought that team to the championship game. Yeah. This year, they picked up right where they left off. King Henry is averaging like 140 yards a game over the past 16 games. He, he's incredible. And so it, it can, they slow him down and Pittsburgh's probably one of the only teams that has the chance to do so. It's yeah, gonna this be is going to awesome be the best game. test. This is going to be the best test for that Tennessee offense. Yep. Can, um, we're going to get the big plays from, from AJ Brown and, and our Holy cross alma mater and friend Khalif Raymond. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we love to see Tennessee performing well and we wish them the best. And so can, can they capitalize on those splash plays where, you know, you know the, the Steelers are going to be ready for the running game. They know what Tennessee yeah. wants to do. Every team does. They just haven't been able to stop it. Maybe Pittsburgh can. Yeah. One thing I wanted to highlight too, that Pittsburgh offense, I, I think they potentially could keep improving here because big Ben currently has his highest completion percentage of his career right now. He's throwing, he's completing 16, 69.1% of his passes. His best since 2015, when he threw 68%, he completed 68% and 2014 he completed 67.1. And he made the pro bowl in both those seasons. So with Deontay Johnson coming back, like you said, Chase Claypool emerging as their go-to guy, Juju Smith Schuster becoming their third string, their third, Best wide receiver. I mean, this offense, although it's not the most efficient so far this year, I think they're doing just enough to to really just highlight their stellar defense and rely on identify as a defensive first team. Really, one of the best teams in the NFL this year so far. I, I, I like Pittsburgh uh, at the minus one against. I mean, plus one against Tennessee this week. <laughs> Yeah, what, what I'm going to be interested in with Roethlisberger is whether he's able to complete some deep balls. Uh, a lot of what Chase Claypool has done has been after the catch. He's extremely athletic. He has gone, won some jump balls on some deep passes, but I feel, and I don't have the stat to back this up. I, I'd be interested to see what um, Ben Roethlisberger's ADOT is this year. Uh, I feel like he's throwing a lot of short passes to Juju and Deontay, and so I think that's part of the reason his completion percentage is so high. Um, and I think that in a game where where Tennessee will be able to score a decent amount. I want to see if also the Steelers can have some of those splash plays. Yeah, he, I could pull you up the air yards per, per attempt right now. Right now he's averaging 8.2 air yards per attempt, uh, right around average of, of what his career has been. Um, he's a little bit, of, he's eight, on his career, he averages 7.6 air yards per attempt. So I think that the bringing the comeback of Deontay Johnson, this offense getting their full health basically back this week, I think, we're going to see this Pittsburgh offense at this is going to be indicating of how, how, how well they're going to perform the rest of the season, I think, because this is a big game for them. And if Pittsburgh's offense is, is going to be one of the better, better ones in the league, this is the week to show it, you know, yeah. no more both, holding back. Both of these teams are 
right there in the top five in the discussion with, with the chiefs and, and the Seahawks. Um, and it'll be their chance to show against a legitimate opponent, whether they deserve to be ranked with those teams who, yeah. who have been playing awesome all year too. I've seen, I've seen a lot of handicappers reluctant to put Tennessee in their top 10 still. So if this, if, if they pull this one out, um, they definitely, there's no doubt you got to respect Tennessee going the rest, going the rest of the season. Yeah, definitely. A lot of people are still thinking that last year was a bit of a fluke um, and with Tannehill and Derrick Henry's historic production, but it seems like it's carrying over to this season. And I, I think they're going to make the playoffs and I think they're going to make a run as well. I don't, I I don't see why they can't. No pun intended. They're going to make a run. (laughs) Yeah. Derrick Henry, man, that guy is an animal. He's so big. He's He's so big. Miller, but faster. (laughs) He's incredible, man. All right. Next game, man. Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, the Buccaneers versus the Raiders. This is a, this has been a weird buildup to this matchup. And the reason I wanted to highlight it is because I just love Tampa Bay and I, Tampa Bay. I think if, if you're going to get them at minus four this week, man, take that, take that and run with it. That's my best bet of the week. Tampa Bay minus four against Las Vegas, Vegas with four offensive linemen hitting the COVID list this week with, um, it started with the one positive test out of, uh, who is, who is the guy that got tested positive? you know, off the top of your head? Trent Brown is a name that, that pops sounds in my right. Head. Yeah, that sounds right. I think it was Trent Brown that tested positive, and then he was in close contact with a lot of the other linemen, so they all had to get put on the quarantine COVID list. Um, uh, the high potential risk cases, and yeah. this is, that's what Kevin talked about uh, in our medical podcast. There are certain players you are that are going to be more high risk based on the amount of time you spend around them. So the offensive line, they're doing the drills together; they're in closer proximity, so they were the high risk um, group that had to be quarantined. And like you said, some more positive tests cropping up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really have as much statistical analysis for this besides the fact that Vegas is going to be banged up. They're going to be shortchanged on this. And I don't, I don't think that they're going to be able to move the ball on offense. This Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is, is the best in the league right now. And Josh Jacobs from a fantasy sense, we talked about it a little bit already. I don't love his chances for a great game this week, unless he falls into the end zone somehow. Um, but really going to be an inefficient day on the, on the ground for him. I think um, Tampa Bay really just, made a statement win against green Bay last week, made Aaron Rodgers one of the best QBs of our generation look like a fool, made him look like Kyle Allen or Dwayne Haskins or something. So I, I, I love Tampa Bay in this. If you're going to give me four points, if you're going to only give me four points, I, I, I think Tampa Bay runs away with this one. Is this your best bet of the week? Yeah. Yeah. I'm making this my best bet. Tampa Bay minus four. A lot of people are worried about this Raiders offense this week, and, and rightfully so, especially Josh Jacobs owners. You know, Josh Jacobs, most weeks we, we consider him a lock it in player, set it and forget it. But really this week, you might actually have better alternatives. Um, so consider that when going to this game, he has a dinged up offensive line and he's going against a, a defense that's giving up only 64 yards per game to offenses. And that's not to the single running back. That's the entire team. So that includes the backup running back and the third string running back and the quarterbacks running rushing yards mm-hmm. this game yeah this team is amazing against the rush josh jacobs is averaging under four yards per carry this season the raiders offensive line wasn't performing well previous to this covid outbreak so it's going to be mm-hmm. a bloodbath tampa bay might have double digit sacks yeah this everything is stacked up against the raiders in this one so this line feels like it should be like tampa bay minus seven yeah and if you're gonna give me a field goal of value worth i mean give me tampa bay I agree. Lock it in. All right, buddy. Did you have any other picks you want to talk about? Any other games or, or, or uh, let's move on to our daily fantasy. If not, um, let me pull up the slate real quick. Um, 
Yeah, no, I think those are the big ones I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I I do kind of like Carolina plus seven and a half against New Orleans. And I, I, I'm tempted to take Washington over Dallas this week because Dallas uh, has lots of issues on the offensive line. Not only they have, do you want to, so you want to talk about cluster injuries with Dallas? Their center is out, their two tackles are out, and their two backup tackles are out. So <laughs> Dallas is really just not, they're crawling into this matchup. You would think if you gave me a pickup game, pick them game two weeks ago before the DAC injury, Washington versus Dallas, if you, that spread would be like minus six, Dallas minus six. Yeah. So you, you want to give me a pick them? I'm tempted to take Washington because it's just line just feels like they want you to take Dallas. And I think this is going to be a Washington win. Yeah. Chase Young playing, I think. I a think real I th- sneaky play in DFS. If you want to go real long shot, say in a tournament, stack Kyle Allen and Terry McLaurin. Yeah. Real, that's, that's, that's a real that's deep lead. Not bad, bad handicapping values. The flipper, RJ, RJ Bell calls Kyle Allen the flipper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Antonio Gibson might have a great game too. If he's able to get catch some passes and break out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of Antonio Gibson, I have him in my daily fantasy. So let's talk about, a little about this. So let's look let's at that run. transition from let's, Benny P there. That's professional <laughs> podcasting folks. Take a lesson. <laughs> let's talk a little about this daily fantasy. Let's run through our rosters really quick. I got Joe Burrow at QB. Costing $5,500. Uh, Alvin Kamara, $7,900. Antonio Gibson, $5,000. DeAndre Hopkins, $8,200. Keenan Allen at $6,200. Probably my best value of the week, Keenan Allen. Possibly a, a top five wide receiver this week, I think. Uh, costing only $6,200. Terry McLaurin, $5,800. You mentioned that possibility of a big game from Kyle Allen and Terry McLaurin. And then I, I threw in a, a dart throw here at tight end. Uh, Harrison Bryant. For the Cleveland Browns, Austin Hooper's out this week. Uh, it looked, yeah. So Austin Hooper's out. It's, uh, he's got an illness, not COVID related. Uh, so we're looking at a uh, David Joku. Uh, what's his? Uh, is it David Njoku, um, and Harrison Bryant at, at tight end for Cleveland. And Bryant has been when uh, Bryant has been leading the snaps uh, distribution over Joku this season. So that's why. Brian was about uh, almost $1,500 cheaper than Joku this week. And so I figured if Brian's just going to be on the field a lot this week, I, I think it's worth a dart throw at just 2,500. Um, he could potentially catch a touchdown and it allowed me to, to really have a lot of value in my other spots of the roster. I got Kenyon Drake in my flex at 4,800. And like I said about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I love their defense against Las Vegas. I got, I spent the $4,000 on them to put them in it's my defensive it. spot. Worth it. Absolutely. There, there are very few weeks where a defense can be an impact, impactful um, roster decision. And it's so clear cut. I mean, this is so obvious. The Bucks are, are an awesome play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the third, the third priciest defense. And I think they're the best defense this week. So there's, there's still value there. Yeah. I, I think you did a great job targeting some high scoring games. So, you know, we, we talked about how Washington's probably going to put up a lot of points and you had the Gibson and McClure in there. So you're going to capitalize on that. You're, you're getting De- DeAndre Hopkins. So you're getting exposure to that Seattle, Arizona game, which has a really high over under. And then you're also getting Joe Burrow and Bryant in there as more of a kind of toss it out there because that's also going to be a high scoring game. So I, I like, I like the games that you're targeting, Ben. Definitely. All right, buddy, run me through your lineup. So in, in similar fashion, I, I tried to pick on some of the same games that you're looking at because those are what, what we think are going to be high scoring games. So I, I started off with Kyler Murray. He's the number one DraftKings quarterback, and yet he's only 7,100. Um, 
Then I have Kareem Hunt at 6,800. He was a little bit dinged up last week and he's faced some tough rushing defenses. So he, he's pretty cheap uh, when you consider he's a lock it in number one running back. Uh, next, I, I'm going with a little bit of a risk, risky play here in DeAndre Swift, but I really liked his performance last week. And every week of the past three weeks, he, he's gained more of a snap percentage compared to um, Adrian Peterson. And carry on Johnson's really a non factor there. Uh, and then we have DJ Chark. He's been in and out of the lineup with injury. And his last game, he came back. He had 14 targets. Not a lot of production came out of that. But the fact that Minshew is looking to him early and often is a great sign. He is, to me, a number one wide receiver. He just hasn't really been able to stay on the field to show it. But he has that high potential. So at 5,500, he's an awesome value. We're both on Hopkins this week. An absolute stud. I don't know how you can't be. He's going to be amazing. And then I have Deontay Johnson. So another guy we talked about coming off of injury, uh, you'll notice that Chark and Johnson um, coming off of injury. I, I like that as a value play because, you know, DraftKings, they, they actually build that into the amount of um, money they put in. So because they haven't performed recently, their, their um, cost is less expensive. So you're getting an awesome value there in Deontay Johnson. And the same thing with Noah Fant. He, he was a top four tight end before he went out with injury and he's only 4,800. Um, and then in my flex, I have Gio Bernard. He's filling in for Mixon. So that was one of those guys who, whose cost didn't get adjusted down because mixing got ruled out midweek. So he's an awesome value. And then I'm taking the chargers defense against Jacksonville. Uh, I really like what I've seen from the chargers D so far. I know that they're dinged up, but at 3,400 they're in, in within that price range of who I could slot into my lineup. They were the best defense I could find. I like your lineup. We're, we're, we're running into a rubber match this week. We're both three, we're three and three on this, on these daily fantasy picks between us. And so we'll see who takes the edge in week seven. I like our lineups. Looking forward to a great week seven slate of games, Connor. Anything else you want to say? Yeah, the, the matchup between Ben and Connor is kind of like the matchup between the Steelers and Titans, man. We're going to find out who's for real this week and who's Battle the heavyweights. their name. Yeah, man, this is going to be fun. We got an AFC North battle going on this week between Connor and Ben <laughs> and the Tennessee Titans and Pittsburgh Steelers. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy some week seven football. Thank you so much for listening to vicious talk with Benny P. Thanks for uh, my buddy Connor for coming on this week. Uh, really enjoyed talking to NFL football. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on Ben. All right. Have a good one. Okay. That's a wrap for episode 44 of vicious talk with Benny P. Please remember to subscribe to vicious talk on Spotify, Apple podcasts and SoundCloud. And as the feature podcast of the All Things Analysis Network, please also follow ATA on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. You can also subscribe on our website, allthingsanalysis.com, to check out all of our podcasts and articles we post on there. We've also been receiving a good amount of DMs on our Instagram account uh, for All Things Analysis from fantasy owners seeking some advice on their specific rosters. So if you ever have any questions about your teams, who to start, whether or not you should make a certain trade, please feel free to DM us uh, at All Things Analysis uh, Instagram account. Connor and I would be happy to offer our analysis on any situation. Okay, thanks again for listening, and thanks again to Connor for joining me uh, for this week's podcast. That's going to do it here for episode 44 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Now remember to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? <laughs>